Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Better now. We got your internet back. Yeah, sorry. Uh, now there's. I don't know if anyone's li- with us live yet. I'm just going to tweet out the link here. Um, but uh, if I can find the link, sometimes it's not always easy to find these things. Um, the uh, yeah, Bruce. My TV went on the fritz with ten minutes left in the game. I didn't see the last ten minutes or the or the overtime. Although I on I watched the highlights of the final two goals, so I'm a little less right. prepared to comment on the game, having missed a good chunk of it. Although I understand not a lot happened in the last 10 minutes of Edmonton's 4-3 overtime win over the Montreal Canadiens. No, once Montreal tied it up, it was snooze city. It was Bettman hockey, right? Both teams sitting on their Bettman point saying we will decide it in overtime. And in the case of Montreal, one point was exactly what they needed to sew up their playoff berth. So they weren't real interested in taking a lot of chances in the last five minutes of the third period. Honestly, the last, I'd say, 30 seconds of the third period had an oiler standing behind the net with the puck and no Montreal player even deigning to forecheck him and just played it out. It looked like one of those fixed soccer games from the World, World Cup like 34 years ago before they figured out how to how to schedule the last day. <laughs> just checking on here to see if it's uh, showing up and I still still can't find it, so who knows what's going on tonight here, Bruce. Hopefully... Oh. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully all. Everybody's online online and sees the link. Uh, uh, (sighs) Copy and paste and send it to us on Twitter. (laughs) I'll figure this out eventually. I hope hope you can hear me okay tonight. I got the mic like right here. I can hear you great myself. Good work, Bruce. (laughs) I, um, yeah, I uh, was just, I've just been on the phone for like an hour, an hour and a half mm-hmm. here trying to get my t- the internet fixed and the TV still isn't fixed. It looks like the, oh. the, the, bo- the, I don't know what you call it. The box is fritzed. So I will uh, get a new one tomorrow, hopefully, and all will be well. All right, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. And because this is an Oilers victory, we will go with two good things each. What is your first good thing? Yeah, I'm going to single out the line of uh, Ryan McLeod between James Neal and Alex Chason as my good thing. Uh, I thought they had a good game throughout. Uh, they had very they had excellent shot metrics and so on. Um, I was particularly impressed with Ryan McLeod. I thought he skated well. I thought he made smart decisions. He won six out of eight in the faceoff dot, and he did in fact earn his first um, NHL point on the 1-1 goal that came just 20 seconds after Montreal took their first and only lead of the game. And it was good play, first by Alex Chason, to, to jump on a loose puck, carry it around behind the net, and he made a centering pass to McLeod. And McLeod, uh, he couldn't really handle the pass, but uh, it deflected from him over to James Neal, and he looked like the veteran NHL goal scorer that he, in fact, is as he jumped on that loose puck and quickly tucked it in the short side before Jake Allen knew what was going on. It was already in the net, and, and the game was tied. And from there, I mean, just a few seconds later, 
A uh, good forecheck by McLeod led to a deflection to Neal in the slot for a shot that he rang off the goal post. And just in general, I thought those guys, like the the two, they're 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 both big and slow, the wingers, right? But so a little dose of speed down the middle is exactly what they need. Uh, and uh, McLeod has got that in spades, and you know he's got the the side. They're a big line, three big men. And um, uh, I thought they uh, uh, they connected pretty well. You know, I I see them as all pretty smart players. You know, and, and uh, I saw some smart plays among them, and uh, a little bit of promise there that uh, that uh, uh, they might uh, they might stick as a as a bottom six unit. McLeod's really impressed me, Bruce, with his mm -hmm. total game. He hasn't been. I mean, he's been caught out in the slot. But, you know, my worry about any young center is can they play the slot defensively? It's hard to make mm -hmm. those reads. It's hard not to get distracted by things and to cover off that dangerous pass into the slot. We've seen veteran players struggle with that as well this year with Kyle Turris just really having a hard time. But he's he's done okay. He's hung in there. I can only remember one play where he got caught out there, which is going to happen to any center. Once more. Uh, the thing I like about those two wingers, Bruce, is I, I know they get a lot, there's some amount of criticism of both of them, and some people don't have much time for them. I'm not in that camp, and and it's because of a couple things. Chase On's power play performance is at the top of the list. But defensively, if you're looking at the game the way I look at it, I think the heart of the game is the grade A scoring chance. That's That's what you're looking to create, game in, game out, as many of those as you can, and limit the opposition because that's how you win games. And um, Chase on and Neil are both very smart and responsible defensive players in their own zone. Um, they're good on the boards. When they get the puck, they don't throw it away, generally speaking. They're, they're strong enough to win the puck there and move the puck. And the, But their real specialty is just playing their darn position and coming back on the back check hard and covering off that point men on the other team when he gets the puck. They're both really good at that. In fact... Looking at the game through that lens of grade A scoring chances, two, they're two of the three best Oilers wingers defensively in terms of limiting their mistakes on that kind of, you know, horrendous chance against. Chase on's the best defensive forward, a defensive winger in that regard. Kyler Yamamoto is next, and then James Neal. So I got a lot of time for those two players. They're big, heavy players. They did well in the playoffs last year, and I think that they may have found a really strong uh, player to play with them because they need speed, right? They need to someone who can carry that puck and create some disturbance for the other team, scare them a little bit, and uh, th this line could work. In fact, I'm I, I'm excited about um, you know my good thing, Bruce. Just to segue from there is the dynamite line. It was their best, probably their best game. They didn't have a perfect game by any means, but um, they did score a, a, just an absolutely fantastic dynamite goal where um, um, I won't get into the details because that's your other good thing, but uh, it, was a, it was a tremendous goal. I think, Bruce, you know, my, my other good thing is not just the dynamite line, it's all of these lines. I think that this is, uh, I like these lines heading into the playoffs. Now, they're going to have to figure out where Zach Cassian might fit if yep. he's healthy. And that's a good question. I, I suspect it'll be Cassie and Kara and Archibald with uh, maybe Devin Shore getting the short end of the stick. But Cassian could, of course, also take either Chase on or Neil's place. Um, we'll, we'll see about that. I, or he could sit. But I think 
depending on the team, if it's Winnipeg, there's a chance he'll sit. Um, but um, I think they have their lines, Bruce. Um, the the dynamite lines coming ha- had a good game tonight, and the third and the fourth lines look good. I mean, it is going to be hard to sit Devin Shore because there's nothing wrong with his game right now. There's nothing particularly fantastic about it, but and maybe that's how Cassian gets in ahead of him. But uh, uh, Tippett's done. Come come up with something here. I think these uh, these lines work, even though the first the top line had a few struggles defensively. You might say. What's your second good thing? Well, four of the four of the six guys in the bottom six uh, uh, played well over a minute on the penalty kill tonight. The Oilers only had two penalties to kill, and they killed them both successfully. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all of the entire line of uh, of uh, 14, 15, 16, a minute three for sure, a minute forty for Archibald, a minute forty-four for Kara, most on the team. And for McLeod, a minute thirty-nine. So he was right there with Kara. And the other two guys, uh, uh, Chase on and Neil, are both uh, uh, share the net front role on the power play. And they played 56 and 55 seconds tonight. They always only had one power play. So, I mean, they're, they're splitting the load there. So every guy in the bottom six, every guy in the bottom six is playing special teams right now. You don't see that all the time. And you won't see it if Zach Cassian is back because he doesn't play either special team. So that may be uh, a bit of a roadblock block for uh, Zach finding his way back in. That's true, Bruce. I mean, if they feel they need a real physical force, they'll play him. But if they don't feel they need that, they might mm-hmm. just go with this group of forwards. And I don't have a big problem with that. What is your second good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, play of Caleb Jones. I really liked his game tonight. And uh, um, I thought he was, he was very proactive. Uh, one of my very favorite plays was the one that set up the uh, um, the second Oilers goal that was scored, uh, as, as you alluded, by the Dynamite line. Uh, but it was actually started by Caleb Jones. And the line came on on a change, and Jones had the puck sort of between the circles in his own end and with a little bit of time. And Drysaddle came all the way back from the far end of the bench near the red line, and he cut back towards Jones and looked for all the world like he was going to come right through the slot, take the puck, and race up ice with it. But then Leon cut his route short by about five feet, and he sort of did a quick up ice, and he blasted through the neutral zone, and he passed Corey Perry like Perry was a house on the side of the road. And Drysaddle was by him, and then Jones hit him with the perfect lead pass. And I think the Habs were kind of sucked into thinking Drysaddle was going to go deeper and they had a little bit more time, and instead he was past him and he had the puck. And then all kinds of trouble ensued. He dropped it nicely for Yamamoto. Leon sort of picked off a guy, uh, one of the defenders, as he did that. And Yamamoto, I think the puck got checked off his stick. He got a little bit lucky. Like I, he, I think he wanted to shoot, but it got checked off his stick and went right to Nuge, and Nuge just quickly buried it. And it was in the net. So all three forwards got a scoring point. And Caleb Jones did not get one. Uh, but he sure made the the, uh, the beauty headman uh, stretch pass that got the uh, got the rush going and basically uh, uh, into the zone and, and uh, you know, set up with numbers. And then he did earn an assist on the second goal with more of a more of a rote pass. But uh, he did make a good play inside the blue line and he got the puck to McDavid and he worked a little bit of his magic uh, before setting up uh, Cahoon for the uh, uh, for the 3-2 goal. 
And there was also a sequence in the third period that I was really impressed with, Caleb, where Montreal was coming through the neutral zone and Ethan Bear stood up to try and stop the, the, the wave and he got the stick knocked out of his hands. And at that moment, Jones was on an island. There was like three Montreal guys, Caleb Jones, his partner with no stick, and the puck. <clears throat> and Jones, to my eye, and I probably don't remember the play perfectly, uh, but he made at least two good plays to keep the puck away from uh, Montreal, whether whether it was a defensive stop or, you know, he disrupted the rush. And then he did get a hold of the puck, and under a lot of pressure, he had like a split second to, to make a good play with it, and he made a real nice pass up ice, and the threat was over. It was one of those plays where he looked like, you know, it was going to be a three-on-one or a three-on-one-and-a-half, and you were going to have guys running all over the place. And to me... Caleb Jones took charge of that situation and bossed that play, and that was really nice to see because uh, that's that's a part of his game that you know does need to develop, and uh, that was a real nice sign there. And tonight, generally, I thought uh, I thought he was good. He's a really interesting player, Bruce. So you know that that pass that he made to to Drysaddle, like the players that he's in competition for the third oh. pairing role, they would they would not make that pass. He did. Oh. He is. And again, the way I'm looking at the game, creating scoring chances, helping create scoring chances by our way of looking at, by my way of looking at the game. He is by far the Edmonton Oilers defenseman most likely to make a major contribution to a grade A chance at even strength. He has not been rewarded with a lot of points. He wasn't on that play, I don't believe either. He, he, doesn't, he hasn't gotten a lot of points. He did but get Matt, on the on the second goal tonight, so he did get a point. Still looking there, for a goal, but he's got four assists now. You know, based on his contributions to scoring chances, uh, he should have a few more than that. You know, he hasn't played a lot of minutes, so he's not going to have a lot more points than that. But he really does move the puck well. He's great at getting the puck through on shots on uh, from the point, walking the line, getting a shot through for it to be tipped. Um, he is a, just an outstandingly strong, even-strength puck mover, I think. Like, just just it's it's what it's what got him to the nhl and it's what's probably going to keep him there uh, he's so high event though because he's by far by far the most likely orders defenseman to make a mistake on a great a chance against so you gotta you're weighing those two things but when he's good is he ever good my second good thing bruce was that fantastic sequence leading up to the Oilers' third goal it lasted uh by my count 55 seconds 19 passes, three shots, culminating in the goal-scoring shot. It was, it was uh, we, we've seen this a few times this year, where the Oilers have dominated the puck, moving the puck around in the offensive end. And I think this is probably the third really fantastic, great sequence that has ended in a goal. Minute and, long? Yeah. This was not quite at the, this wasn't quite, you know, if this, if Mount Everest was that one that had like 30 passes, this is like K2. It's got, it had 19 passes. Um, so, but it really kicked into high gear with a great play by Leon Dreisaitl on the wall. And the puck comes around the boards and I think uh, Thomas Tatar is chasing it. And Dreisaitl just uses his body. He sieves in there with his body, uses his huge shoulders and back to, to puck protect and win the puck that way and get it going in the other direction. It was a key, absolutely key moment in that sequence where they, the, the Habs looked like they might be getting it out. And his great puck protection there, he created that goal. He was, he was off the ice for about 20, 
25 seconds uh, after that because he went out right off the ice after making that play and McDavid came out yeah. and started to engineer things and he made, McDavid made a great play in that thing. Pulley Arvey made a good, really good play on the zone entry. There were some nice passes by Nurse. There were some nice passes by Jones. Uh, it was a real team effort. Dominic Cahoon made some nice passes and finished the, finished it with the goal. But the, the, I thought the, the the highlight of that was this uh, just tremendous puck battle that that Drysaddle won in such clever fashion. And uh, he was Joe Thornton esque there, and uh, as he as he often is in those puck battles. Yeah, he beat to my eye. He beat two halves on that play. Uh, I thought that I thought he was outnumbered in the corner, and the next thing you know, he he had the puck, and he had his big butt between the puck and his opponents, and he dished it off. And then, to his credit, even as the Oilers were pressing to score, he got the hell off the ice because he'd been out there for a long shift, and McDavid's line was next line up. I wonder if Leon would have changed if it had been, uh, say, the Kara uh, line next line up, if he would have maybe. <laughs> Stayed a little longer in the offensive zone, but it was a good decision, and he did the right thing. And and Drysaddle came out, and they continued the possession. And of course, this was second period with the short change in the offensive zone. We often talk about the long change from the defensive zone, and rarely do we talk about how advantageous it is for the attacking team to make short changes from the from the near bench. But it really is, and this was another example of that, where McDavid was able to quickly get right involved in the cycle. And as I said earlier, work his magic and beat the defenseman with a, just a ridiculous move, and then a perfect pass that Cahoon was able to tap home. It, it was a it was a real nice, uh, real nice sequence all the way around. Um, Bruce, what is your what's your bad thing? Yeah, I got to go with the three three goal, and I got to point the finger of blame at. Uh, uh, at the play of uh, netminder Mikko Koskinen. The Oilers led this game 3-2 going into the third period. And it was kind of like Saturday night's game against Vancouver, where they had the one-goal lead, and they kind of shut everything down in the third. And you know what? Montreal did not get a single grade-A chance in the third period by our count. Not even one. But they got this grade-B chance from way over by the far hash marks near the boards by that noted... Uh, sniper Arturi Lekkonen, who tallied his seventh goal of the season from way over there by the boards to the short side of Koskinen's net under his blocker and in. And it was just one of those ones where you just, you know, that just can't go in. That just, you know, maybe there was tiny coverage mistakes, but it's, it, it's just one the goalie's got to have, right? When you, when you're, keeping them to grade B or even grade C, really. I wouldn't even call it a grade B chance. It was way outside. And it just got missed by Koskinen and got Montreal back in the game, and they wound up taking it to overtime. I mean, in the end, I mean, the bad thing is worse for Calgary than it is for Edmonton because the bad thing didn't cost the Oilers at all because they were able to win the game in overtime and get their two points. But the one point Montreal got from taking this game to overtime was um, the one that clinched the playoff berth and eliminated the Calgary Flames from the playoffs. So it was uh, probably pretty tough to take for Calgary to see Edmonton doing such a nice job of holding on for the regulation win that Calgary needed and then have that uh, pretty junky uh, tying goal go, go in. And then kind of both teams kind of Kind of played laissez-faire hockey down the stretch, and that 
that uh, it was it seemed inevitable that the game would in fact go to overtime and it did I see the Winnipeg Jets also managed to lose. Bruce, oh, like, the, the bad thing about that is if, if the Oilers had beat Montreal in regulation, they would be facing for sure Winnipeg. Yeah. Now, now, if Montreal wins their game, Winnipeg has to get at least one point out oh, of their... Oilers just have to beat Montreal on Wednesday then, don't they? That's it. But Winnipeg, yeah, or, or Winnipeg has to... If, if, if Montreal beats Edmonton, which is a possibility, mm -hmm. uh, Winnipeg has to get a point in its final two games. Now, that shouldn't be that hard. You wouldn't think. You wouldn't think, but you never know. And I I just I just think the Oilers match up better against might live to regret saying this, but I just think they match up better against Winnipeg. Winnipeg's record, Bruce, in the last ten games is one win and nine losses. Like wow. So who knows what's gonna happen? Can they maybe they're maybe they're desperate not to face Edmonton, but that doesn't make any sense because they Toronto's a really good do they want to face Toronto? I doubt it. So, I don't know what Winnipeg's up to, but they're a team struggling right now. Could they turn it around for the playoffs? Of course they could. They're missing um, Nikolai Ehlers. Maybe he'll be back for the playoffs. He was, we'll skating. See. He was skating today, apparently. Yeah, well, there you so, go. So, yeah, one and nine. I mean, the thing Winnipeg could be doing, of course, is laying in the weeds, getting the bad hockey out of the system while they're kind of all slumping together and they all come out of it. I mean, in 1986... When the Flames uh, beat the Oilers on the infamous Steve Smith own goal off of Grant Fuhrer, uh, the Flames lost that year. I think they lost 11 straight games. They had this huge, long losing streak. It wasn't even, well, there were no Bettman points in those days. Uh, there were ties. They didn't even have ties. I think they lost 11 straight games in 85-86 Calgary Flames. But by the playoff time, that, that losing streak was way in the past, and they were playing really good hockey. And... So yeah, you can't you can't necessarily use it to predict, but it's my, if I was a Winnipeg fan, I would be damn concerned. Let's put it that way. The Oilers' fate is in their own hands here. If they don't want to face Montreal in the first round, they can beat Montreal tomorrow, or not yep. tomorrow, but uh, Wednesday. So, uh, is it Wednesday? Wednesday yes. at uh, Wednesday three o'clock Mountain. All right, thank you. Thanks for the reminder. I will be there mm. with my hockey goggles on. Mm. Uh, thing Bruce hmm. other than Winnipeg's one and nine record it kind of takes your breath away uh the first goal against Bruce um you know it, it's funny I just wanted to comment on Koskinen I thought he'd been playing quite well up until then I thought he looked confident he was, yeah. I thought he had looked more confident and kind of you know solid in the net and making good plays and and um and then he went and done the <laughs> stinker like that we'll just leave it there the first goal against was not his fault and uh, it was the fault of some pretty good hockey players, Tyson Berry, Connor McDavid, and Darnell Nurse. So it starts off with Berry making a pinch. And you could say, well, Mc, you know, he knows McDavid's there and McDavid should cover for him. But could you win a battle on the pinch? And, and I know that, you know, if McDavid makes the play, you know, that we, we don't even notice that. But Tyson Berry, it's happening a little bit too much. We've mentioned it previously in the podcast where he's getting caught out on these pinches it's like if you're a forward out there you better and you're out there with Tyson Berry you better be ready to cover for him because his timing hasn't been great I mean he wasn't even close to making the play on that one and uh, when it uh, excuse me Montreal breaks out fast and McDavid gets beat then and you know it's also on him he should have made that play 
Finally, they're charging down the ice, and Nurse is playing the two-on-one, I believe, and he gets deked in the deked in the slot. Which, if he had taken the body, that's not a play there. But it was a, it's a more difficult play for Nurse. Like he's less culpable than than the other two. Anyway, it's one of those things that they can have video of, and and if they ever, uh, if as they get ready for the playoffs, they could show Tyson Berry these six or seven plays that have come up in recent weeks where he's done this. It just seems like a mainly a kind of a recent thing as much as anything. And and just say, hey man, make the play or back off. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, well, it's been happening. I would say most of the season that uh, yeah. Barry's Barry's in on the pinching. Uh, I will say that uh, uh, we do tend to notice the ones where his timing's off and he gets beat, and, and it's you know a, a jailbreak the other way. There also are plays where Barry's aggressive pinching, whether it be in the offensive zone up by the hash marks or quickly in the neutral zone to contain a, a breakout before it even hits the center red line, they often do pay off in either retained possession by the Oilers or, or, uh, or recovery and the puck back in the zone. Both him and Nurse are pretty aggressive at uh, trying to, you know, get their sticks in there and, and get, um, they do it different, but they try, they, they, and sometimes they even team up together where they both will just go up and gang up on the puck before it gets out and win it and get it going back in the right direction. So there are pinches that do have positive outcomes, even as we only see the, or tend to see the ones that go sideways like this one where he wound up, his timing was off and he wound up doing nothing. He was in no position to hit the guy, to take the man or the puck. He was just basically taken out of the play. Yeah, we really notice. It's obviously these plays are really noticeable, especially when there's a goal attached to the end of it, a goal against attached to the yep. end of it. He he is a fantastic mm -hmm. puck mover. I think we just we've recently had this exact same discussion on the podcast. I think we were mm -hmm. both making the same points, and and I'll come back to that. He is a fantastic puck mover. There was a, he did a couple spinorama spinorama moves this game, you know, in quick succession to get open to make a pass. He really can uh, make those plays, and it's just it's interesting because I just think I'm not sure. Like I think he could be that much better a player with with just a, what I would call mental errors, but maybe it's just a more, uh, maybe there aren't mental errors, maybe it's just a product of someone who plays a high risk, high ro reward style. But I see all the Oilers defensemen pinching a lot, Bruce. I don't see Barry in particular pinching more than anybody else. They all pinch and they pinch a lot. It's a very aggressive team. So, but he's getting caught more than the other ones is, is the point where I'm going to end up on. He errs on the side of offense. Indeed, a lot of them do. A lot of the really good attackers do, don't they? Bruce, yeah. what is your numero? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, 15 and 5, which was uh, Leon Dreisaitl's uh, numbers on the, on the uh, face-off circle tonight, 15 and 5. And in that, he took uh, 10 in the offensive zone. He won seven of those. Uh, including the only one on the power play and the one in overtime. He won uh, uh, one in the offensive zone and the power play and another one in the neutral zone on, sorry, in overtime that um, uh, resulted in the order starting with the puck on uh, the puck drop twice in overtime. In the defensive zone, five out of seven, including two out of two on the penalty kill. And basically, this is this is the new strategy from... Uh, uh, um, from uh, coach Dave Tippett and by new I mean the last three four weeks maybe where Leon is uh, used in the Fogo role, role face off get off 
And the idea is if he does what he did on the first um, uh, penalty kill, he wins the faceoff outright, and the orders dump it all the way down the ice, and he goes to the bench. He had an eight-second shift, a totally successful one that disrupted the beginning of the Montreal power play because he won the draw so cleanly. They got it out, and you know, it took Montreal a long time to get back and set up in the zone. And again, on the second one, he won the faceoff. They couldn't clear the zone, so he had to, you know, do regular penalty killing for 20 seconds. But it's at the very beginning of the power play, and once he gets off, uh, by the end of the power play, he's all rested up and he's ready for that post power play shift with McDavid. That uh, this is something that uh, Tippett's been doing all year, is uh, putting uh, uh, dry settle McDavid out after penalties, whether they're on the same line in that game or not. They're on the same line for that shift uh, uh, post penalty kill, and so. It's not like Leon's killing the whole penalty. I mean, it's possible once in a while he's going to lose a draw and get stuck in the zone, you know, chasing the puck for a minute. But it hasn't been happening very often. And he's been chipping in. Tonight he played uh, 33 seconds on the penalty kill. And I'll bet you it was eight the first time because I looked it up. And I bet you the second time it was 25 seconds on that one shift before they were able to get it out. And then he was rested for a minute and a half. And by the time the PK was over... He was out there ready to go. So this is the uh, uh, the German army knife uh, doing yet another function for this team. He does so much, you know, that uh, and just chipping in on draws on the penalty kill, a big weakness on the team without him. They haven't got a guy they can really count on to win a PK draw. So who are the, who, who does uh, Dave Tippett look to but, uh, big, but big Leon? And he's... Uh, He's up. He's up. Uh, you know, not a, not every single night great on the dot, but way more nights than not. And he's in the high fifties on the season in uh, face-off win percentage. Bruce, my number is related to Darnell Nurse. It's his mm -hmm. even strength time on ice total this year: one thousand one hundred and eighty-two minutes Whoa. in fifty-four games. He's second. Second to Seth Jones, who's a, who's played two more games, is eight minutes ahead of him. So Nurse, by the end of the year, will have played more even strength minutes, almost certainly, unless he gets injured. Fingers crossed that that does not happen. <laughs> He'll play more even strength minutes than any other player in the NHL this year, Darnell Nurse. Bruce. 20 hours, eh? Basically, yeah. once he gets to 1,200 minutes next yeah. game. He will, uh, he, he, in terms of the average right now, because um, some players have missed some time because of injury, I think he is, uh, where do we, he's, he's also number two even. Shabbat? He's, he, he, Shabbat's ahead of him, 22-36. He's at 21-54. Shabbat's missed some games. Bruce, uh, just, another, just another little number that indicates what kind of a fantastic player Darnell Nurse has become. And, and I just... We've been watching him a long time. I remember we saw him like in his first camp, see like this big, lanky guy with kind of a skinny neck. Remember that? Like his mm -hmm. head yep. sticking out in his skinny neck. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if that was the, what, what camp that was, what rookie camp was, but I we recall well when you and I went to Jasper together and we saw him play. 2014. Uh, he and Leon were there and Connor was a year away. Yet. Yeah. So, so the first one, he kind of looked out of place <laughs> in some ways. He had some growing to do. Just this really, I just remember how fast he was and how kind of lanky and skinny he was, those two things.
by the next camp, he had put on some weight. And, and in, the, in that all-rookie four-on-four game that we watched, he was just punishing. He was a menace to the other players on this. He was punishing them. He was like the, you know, the second coming of Eddie Shore out there hammering away at these at these other players. Kara was also pretty physical that game, as I recall. Anyway, he's developed, Bruce, like, if you had had your fondest wish for Darnell Nurse at that time, mm -hmm. as many as all Loiter fans probably did, including us, it would be that he would develop into a NHL D-man, something the Oilers had lacked since Chris Pronger left town, if you don't want to count Sheldon Surrey, which I don't really. So since Pronger left town, that might be giving Sheldon Surrey short shrift there, but well, Pronger had one year. Surrey had one year where he really yeah. was outstanding. Out of maybe Sekera, maybe Sekera that one year, Bruce, twenty sixteen seventeen, maybe Clefbaum in the twenty seventeen plus. So he's had glimpses of it, but we have the Oilers. He has developed into that player. He is a true number one defenseman in the NHL. He is a true Norris Trophy candidate, something that I was arguing against earlier this year. I, mm -hmm. uh, it took me a little while to come around to that idea, but he, he definitely is. And, and that amount of even strength ice time is, is testament to not only his coach trusting him, but a player, he, he earns every minute of that and he excels in most of those minutes. So what a fantastic player he's become. Well, I'd say I, I don't see him winning the Norris. I do see him winning, getting votes. Yes. I don't even see him even in the finals. But I think that uh, he will uh, win the de facto Norris of the North, that he will get the most Norris votes of any defenseman in the uh, Canadian division. Well, uh, I'm just listening. Only Jeff Petrie is really in that conversation, frankly. I'm just listening to the... Uh, Game of Thrones podcast, so I will declare Darnell Nurse King of the North. North of the North, yeah. Let's see what even strength Let's points. Get Dusty Nielsen on that. He does his North thing on his radio show every morning. Uh huh. <laughs> That's pretty funny. With Game of Thrones, a sort of well, music and and uh, style. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Nurse has twenty nine even strength points behind only Mackenzie Weger at thirty one of uh, Florida. That tied with player, he is a, is a good player. Tied with Carlson and Latang at twenty nine points is Darnell Nurse. So uh, those guys are pretty good players, also. They really are, Bruce, and so mm -hmm. is Darnell Nurse. So that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah. How many? How many trade? How many times did, did fans have him traded out of town for PK Subban or? Oliver Ekman Larson, or this, that, or the other thing, or hey, or Jamie. Nikolai Ehlers was Jimmy. a lot of talk. Darnell for Nikolai Ehlers. Whether, whether there was ever a scintilla of actual talk between the Oilers and the Jets, that was a that was a hot one that was much discussed on the uh, on the on the uh, on the blogs and Twitter and comment sections and so on. And uh, Nikolai Ehlers is an undeniably fantastic player. Would love to have him on the team, but I found that many of those conversations that Nurse himself was kind of sold short, and you know, like Nikolai Ehlers, good as he is, he doesn't play 27 minutes a night, right? And I'm yeah. not sure who would play those minutes on this team if Darnell wasn't here. Who knows? It'd be a nightmare. Bruce, one of the narratives that that Bob Stoffer uh, likes to talk about 
on Oilers now is the the three friends leading the team, Nurse, Drysaddle, and McDavid, mm-hmm. and having those three the three most talented players on the team being the three hardest working players on the team. Well, Bob's not peddling nonsense here. I think this is the this is the truth. This is what we're seeing, and we're seeing a team come together around these players, Bruce. And I was trying to put my finger on what's different about McDavid and, uh, in recent games, and and I think it's with Nurse and Drysaddle. I think they're all. F- <laughs> Frankly, they're all fed up no. with not getting any calls. And they've decided, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to come at us. We are going to come at you. We're not taking no. this one second more. So I was kind of a little bit thinking, why did why did Nurse fight that big Bobby Clobber lunkhead on the Canucks <laughs> the other day? But, <laughs> but Danny, that was from Danny Finkelman in the 1970s on CBC Radio. Right. Uh, or he was talking to someone called Joe Fan or something like that. Anyway. Uh, Nurse, nurse. Though I didn't, I hadn't seen him get out need in the head, and then it, you know, it suddenly all made sense. But these, they are sick and need in the head. They are fed up. Succession. They are fed up, and they're gonna, they are gonna go after players who go after them. And it is the best turn of events the Oilers could have had heading into these playoffs, Bruce. I'll tell you, we saw this. We have seen this with the Oilers with other players who don't take any crap. And you guys, McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nurse are all big men. They're not like, they're not pushovers. You know, was Mark Messier any bigger? Well, he was thicker than Connor McDavid. He was more dry subtle, like He's kind of in between dry subtle and McDavid. Um, is that a fair comment? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's, I don't know if he's, I compare him more to Leon. And, and yeah. course, Messier's mean streak was second to, second to, to none. none, really. But uh, they're, they're, uh, uh, he and Gretzky were chalk and cheese in, ter- in that aspect of the game, whereas McDavid is really capable of, of amping it up. And uh, Leon, when he gets mad, he can really crunch people. And Nurse, I mean, that's part of his game. But when he decides to, the little malice of forethought, he can, he can make people pay as well. And uh, it's uh, I don't mind it. I mean, it's hockey, right? And especially when you got these guys taking a taking a, a beating night after night. I mean. Tonight there was a play, a beautiful play. I love this play. I'd like to see it again, where McDavid came through the neutral zone and there was uh, two or three Montreal guys in front of him and he flipped the puck to himself, basically at an alley-oop pass to himself where he dumped it up and over the defenseman and put it in behind him and went after it. And two Montreal guys came over and both picked him off, like way after he'd released the puck and the referees were like, that didn't happen. I don't see anything wrong with that play. And, and McDavid, at that time, he was looking for a call, and it wasn't coming. And in fact, uh, for all that, a few Oilers wound up on their keisters at various times in the game with sort of dubious uh, um, kind of plays. The one Montreal foul that they just had to call, the, one, the only one that they had to call was that puck over glass. They had no choice on that. They had a choice on all the other ones, and every single one they chose not to call it. And, they, you know, they've, that's that's kind of been a trend, and and as you say, the boys are pushing back. And yeah, what I'd like to see a redo on Bruce over again is uh, Connor McDavid go up against Ryan Kessler in the playoffs. Kessler, uh, you know, hook, hack, grab, hold, and thwarted McDavid and dry settled to some extent. I'd like to see this version of Connor McDavid. He's not taking it anymore. He's not mm-hmm. like from the JT Millers of the world and all these other players. Like good luck to you now is is what I think. Now we, you know, we've seen players with tremendous, absolutely surreal skill before, mm-hmm. but when you add this element of ferocity to it, 
that's a that's a whole other that's a whole other hockey beast, and and I don't remember Bobby Orr well enough um, to know if he if he had that aspect to his game. But I heard my recollection from what I heard is that, and I remember like I, I've compared Bob, McDavid to Bobby Orr since the first time I saw Connor McDavid because I remember the the smoothness of Bobby Orr with the puck and the you know the incredible rushing and deking ability. But I also remember hearing about this other aspect of where he would just go nuts and and go after people. And it's Big it's high time things. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. If the NHL is not going to lay down the law, it's high time they lay down the law, take the law into their own hands, and start and start doling it out. And I think they're going to do that in this playoffs. And if they do, when they do that, and if they do that, I think it's going to be a highly successful tactic. And the Oilers could go a long way uh, with both their skill and their ferocity. Yeah, well, Bobby Orr, he, uh, I mean, the big bad Bruins, right? And yeah. he, he wasn't sort of front and center, and they didn't want him to be fighting, right? They wanted him to be skating and scoring, which was yeah. the, the things that he did exceptionally well. But I'm just bringing up his numbers now on penalty minutes. Uh, 69-70, the year he won his first scoring title, and uh, Boston won their first cup in a long time. Uh, 125 minutes. That was his third year out of four where he had over 100 minutes. And the only one he didn't was one where he got injured and missed a bunch of time. And then later on, he had 106, 101, 99, 91. Like, he was right around the 100 penalty minute mark every year, Bobby Orr. Like, he wasn't exactly a shrinking violet. In fact, he was tough. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and he took a beating and, and he didn't... Uh, um, he didn't shy away from administering a beating of his own from time to time. And for many star players, that's the way you survive. You know, the Sherwood sandwich. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I'm looking forward to the Plasperus. It's coming. It's been, it's, it's been such a weird time in all of our lives and a weird season. I'm sure mm -hmm. for the players, just very fr frustrating in a lot of ways and isolating and, you know, endless mask wearing and hotel rooms all on their own and you know not ideal for anybody but it, it it is coming to an end we're all getting vaccinated and the playoffs are coming so summer is coming i can't yeah. wait yeah well now now that we know that montreal's in and calgary's out we have a a, a, a lingering slow heat death of the regular season where uh Calgary has to play Vancouver four times, and they don't even play the first of those games until Thursday. And they have to still have to play. Vancouver has to play Winnipeg tomorrow, Calgary Thursday, Edmonton Saturday, Calgary Sunday, Calgary Tuesday, Calgary Wednesday. You know, it's like an, they're almost all meaningless games. The latest rumor is that Calgary-Vancouver game next Wednesday will be an afternoon game so that they can start the playoffs on Wednesday night. Like enough waiting around. I mean, the Americans, uh, two, one of the Americans' divisions is completely finished. All the teams are done. Another one, there's only one game left, and I think it's tomorrow. And that division's done. So they'll be starting the playoffs, and we've still got all these damn Vancouver games. And now that Calgary and Vancouver are officially out, maybe they'll even start the playoffs while these last dwindling games are, are being played, and, and they won't have to catch up as much. We'll see how they... How they handle that because they you know they've mathematically been eliminated eliminated the flames so maybe they can play that a little different we'll see Alrighty, well let's leave it there we will All meet right. again on wednesday afternoon i hope my tv's working by then so 
All right. We'll look forward to folks' pod, uh, feedback on the podcast as we work through our original sort of uh, um, glitches and technical issues and so on. I hope the sound's a little bit more even tonight with the closer mic. And uh, let us know how it's, uh, how it's coming through on your end, please. Yeah, I have no idea if this went live or not because last time when I checked the, the journal's YouTube, as soon as we went up there, it was. Right. And I don't see it now, so I hopefully we've okay. recorded this. Hopefully everything's worked out. So, yeah, yeah I hear you, Bruce. Once is enough for yeah, um, yeah game is... number fifty-four and the season long decided for the Oilers. So yes, thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Right on. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>